For weather, it's 66 degrees out right now. We're gonna see a high of 69 today and a low of 53. And now it is time for Planet Watch. And welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. And I'm Joe Jordan. Today on the program, how one company is changing bicycle use in cities around the world. If you live in Santa Cruz, Denver, or Berlin, perhaps, uh, you've likely seen people on red electric bicycles cruising around town. We'll talk with Megan Mitchell, community manager and spokesperson, haha, for Jump Bikes, about how their company may be changing the way we get around and getting us out of our cars, perhaps spokesperson took me a second to get that um so yeah we have a podcast uh you can subscribe for free at planetwatchradio.com that's planetwatchradio.com and by the way you can support our whole enterprise of truth and fun here um at patreon Patre that's spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n so patreon.com slash planet underscore watch it turns out that underscore is quite important <laughs> planet underscore watch so uh yeah you can contribute to our effort to uh, expanding to many other stations across the country we're now heard on every continent in the world and so on so on into the future thank you before we go to our interview we have a roundup of science and environment news first with tommy martin with this story i think you'll find interesting a federal judge in Montana ordered the U.S. State Department to conduct a full environmental review of the revised route for the Keystone XL pipeline. For over a decade, environmentalists, Native American groups, and ranchers have fought the $8 billion pipeline, which is intended to transfer heavy crude over 1,000 miles from Alberta, Canada to Steel City, Nebraska. In 2014, the State Department produced an environmental impact statement for the initial route, which would later be rejected by the Nebraska regulators. Just last month, the owners of the pipeline, TransCanada, dug up a small portion of the original, slightly smaller Keystone pipeline for inspection. This inspection was just 15 miles from a crack, which last year spilt an estimated 400,000 gallons of crude oil near Amherst, South Dakota. While the construction of this new pipeline was scheduled for 2019, the environmental impact review will have to be completed before the 36-inch diameter pipeline can start pumping crude oil. So there is still some regulatory oversight in this country that's good that's the take home there there's still people who are tasked with preventing the worst and most egregious of insults to our water and our air and there have been a few victories in the past week that uh, show that the judges are probably protecting us from the worst environmental depredations of this administration yeah it's inspiring to see all those groups come together and fight for this indeed hold hold the line hold yeah. the line on another note, uh, scientists have found a way to speed up the creation of a kind of mineral that can capture the greenhouse gas CO2 from the atmosphere at room temperature. Scientists have found a rapid way of producing magnesite, a mineral which stores carbon dioxide. A ton of naturally occurring magnesite can remove about half a ton of CO2 from the atmosphere. But the natural formation rate is quite slow. How slow, you ask? Hundreds of thousands of years. But now, by using tiny spheres of styrofoam to grow the crystals, scientists can grow them in just 72 days. 
The fact that this process happens at room temperature makes it extremely energy efficient. Here comes the clincher. If, big giant if, scaled up to industrial commercial use, this could slow the pace of global warming, but, giant capital, but. The marketability of this mineral is just starting to be explored. So before writing this story, I thought that was interesting. Yes, there's another way to take carbon out of the atmosphere. And then I read something by Richard Nolthenius. He is a professor at Cabrillo College debating this idea. And he thinks that in order to take enough carbon out of the atmosphere by this method of putting them into minerals, crystals, you'd need about a Mount Everest-sized hill of it. And he thinks that by the time you had that much, it wouldn't be very marketable because there's just too much of it. It would be free. We couldn't give it away or find anywhere to put it. He thought putting CO2 underground was a better idea. But other people said, hey, it's a way of getting rid of all the styrofoam we have lying around. In any case, it's not happening yet, but it's just one of many efforts to try to figure out, well, what do you do with all this carbon sitting around? And can you make it commercially viable or is there just some way to dispose of it? And the uh, figure of merit to keep considering in all this is, you know, climate significant quantities of carbon removal, which means uh, tens of billions, not millions, but thousands of millions, i.e. billions, tens of billions of tons a year of carbon being removed from the atmosphere. Hence the, you know, big mountain. <laughs> I, I visualize these carbon bergs, but they're mountain-sized bergs of carbon, you know, wherever we can put them on the earth. Maybe if you paved all the roads with it, with magnesite, you'd, you'd get there somehow. But that's not our problem to solve at the moment. The, the rest of it is. <laughs> that's why we're here on Planet Watch. Maybe one tiny bit of the solution is to have people riding bikes instead of driving cars. And to talk about that, we're very happy to have joining us by telephone in just a moment, uh, Megan Mitchell. She is the community manager for Jump Bikes, which is a yes, very... Yes, I am. Yes, you are. It's a very rapidly growing company, I understand, in many cities around the world. And we're going to hear about that in just a moment. But I wanted to just give a little background on Megan. She um, just works here for the past year because it is such a new company. But she has also worked on other projects, including the beautification of downtown San Francisco. And she was a reporter for a hyper-local news site in, also in that fair city. And apparently, um, these bikes are spreading like the red color wildfire that they are. Um, tell us, first of all, um, this is owned by Uber, is it not? It is now owned by Uber, yes. We were acquired probably about a month and a half ago. And how does how do these jump bikes work? They're, they're parked all over town. They're electric. Uh, what can you tell us just about the whole setup and the, the concept of these bikes? Absolutely. So the bikes are dockless, meaning you don't have to lock them to a station. The idea is to lock them wherever it's most convenient, which in this case, because we want to be very careful with how they operate in the city, a public bike rack or a pool. So okay. that is how we operate. You, you go to and you pick up a bike, you drop it off, pick up, drop off at a bike rack or a bike pool. Or in some cases, um, in Santa Cruz, we have, we've actually created hubs where we've actually provided like a nice line of racks for people to come and pick them up. Just because there's not that many bike racks in Santa Cruz. So we wanted to contribute to that. And we have. And so you rent them. How do you pay for them? There's two ways you could do it. You download our app, which is Jump Bikes, or you could go through Uber. Uber has an option to either get a car or to get a bike, and then you will go and you'll see where all the bikes are, and you can reserve one. 
Um, and if you don't have a smartphone on you, which a lot of people don't sometimes, you could just go up to a, um, a jump bike, type in some information, um, and you do, should be able to access the bike. Of course, you do have to first go on our website and uh, set up an account. Mm -hmm. But once you are at a bike, it'll give you a six-digit account number, and then you are, uh, you're able to create a four-digit PIN. You walk up to a bike, enter in your information, give them your four-digit passcode, and then you are good to go. The bike automatically unlocks. Um, you take your lock, you attach it to the holster on the side, and then you're free to ride. So you don't have to worry about, you know, wondering, oh, God, I hope nobody takes the bike or anything like that. We take care of all of that. This is meant to be the most convenient option for bikes sharing for transportation as possible. Right. Has yeah. anyone ever stolen one? I mean, has anyone forgot to lock it and someone just whizzed off in it? And then you know where it is, I guess, because there's GPS. But uh, Oh, it... yeah, totally. I mean, things have happened. I'm not going to pretend like it's perfect. But, you know, on the back of the bike, there's a control panel that has um, it, it's solar panels. So the controller actually is where the GPS navigation is. So even if a bike dies, which, which happens, um, we will know where it is based on that solar control panel on the back of the bike. How many of them are there in this town? I know they seem to be everywhere because they're red. You can really notice them. Um, how many are operational in, in Santa Cruz, which is, by the way, if you're listening in Columbus, it's a city of about 50,000 people. We currently have 250 bikes in the fleet. We will be expanding them to 500 the first quarter of uh, 2019, and then we're just going to keep growing from there. How much does each one cost you to put out there on the street, by the way, if that's not proprietary information? Oh, no, that's, that's totally fine. We get asked that all the time. Um, you know, the bikes are probably, uh, I'd say, no less than like $1,400 to make. Um, as, we, as we continue to, to make changes to the system and even do like some upgrades to the bike, it'll probably end up being a lot more. Um, they're definitely not cheap. <laughs> No, I imagine not. Um, so if they break, you guys fix them, and that's part of your budget as well. Absolutely. That's why we have um, different bike uh, mechanics working all throughout um, Santa Cruz and San Francisco to all the other cities that we launch. We usually like to set up shop somewhere local and in, in all of the neighborhoods, and not only to just make sure the bikes are working and that, that our fleet is successful, that we're being reliable, but that people have a chance to meet the people who work for Jump which is really important. It's important that we're part of the communities that we serve. <clears throat> yeah, and I did that recently. I went into the warehouse over in the Harvey West area where the mechanics are working on the bikes that get brought in by the van and everything, and friendly little shop there. Um, I was going to say this would be a great model. I mean, it is a great model, even if the bikes are not electric, uh, because, you know, being able to just find a bike somewhere within easy walking distance and then just leave it, you know, wherever it's not going to be a nuisance, you know, blocking pedestrians on sidewalks. And then when you're done with your event, you, well, you go find another one wherever the nearest one is. That's a great model, even if they're not electric. However, the fact that they are electric, I mean, in, uh, well, environmentally, hey, pedaling, I guess, is a, the most solar energy option of all. But electric, especially if the electric is powered by solar, which ultimately maybe it will be, uh, that's really great. But the other thing is they're so fun to ride. Um, for instance, I went up to a couple of young gals who were, you know, punching in the numbers to get one of them unlocked. And I said, hey, well, where are you all going to go? And they said, we don't know. <laughs> just they were getting on them just for fun because and you have eight levels. You can dial it up from one to eight 
eight is the max where you start pedaling and it just instantly starts whizzing you along at eight is the maximum electric assist one is the minimum and actually uh, my experience there was okay it's basically you're just pedaling the thing yourself and it's not geared up very high so you do a heck of a lot of pedaling for a very small distance but anyway uh, a, any, anywhere there in between there a question in there uh, well, I, no, I wasn't asking a question. I was just saying that uh, I think it's a, it's a great model, even if they're not electric. But, hey, the fact that they are electric uh, helps out uh, even even more. It does. It does. And, it's, and, you know, bikes in general have a knack for bringing people together. I know that you guys have. I'm, I'm currently at Sunday Streets in San Francisco. I remember talking to you and you saying that you have one in Santa Cruz, and that's just a great um, event in general. But we have found, you know, whether it was our intent or not, that we are bringing together a community of people who ride bikes with people who just simply don't. I mean, I've got people coming up to me saying, I don't have any more cartilage in my knees. I haven't been on a bike in 20 years. And this thing is great. It is so effortless. And, you know, I know you were saying that you do have to pedal a lot for a short distance. But honestly, one, two pumps, and you are gone. It's literally like being on a rocket ship. These bikes go to, like, 20 miles per hour. Um, they last for a really long time. Actually, that depends on the person's weight. But an actual charge of a jump bike will last you at least about 40 miles. Oh, that's so pretty good. I wanted, yeah, to, I, hmm. I, I wanted to ask you about the solar. Are, are they being charged back at Central when they get collected again by solar, or are they just plugged into the regular grid? And that's a very good question. So they are not solar charged right now. The only thing, part that's solar that charges is the control panel, which gives us the GPS navigation. But as far as the actual bike charging, we take them back. So we have what we call rebalancers. So it's, it's like this game of logic. We literally have to make sure we have 250 working bikes uh, in Santa Cruz at all times. In order to do that, we, we um, keep a map. We keep track of everything. When we see that a bike has gone below like 30%. We take the bike off the street and replace it with a bike that's fully charged. Hmm. Now, that's one way we do it. Right. We also have, like, an incentive program where if a person who is, happens to be by a bike that is 30% or lower sees that it's, it's, it's pretty much on its way out, they can take it back to a charging hub, like a little charging station, which is connected probably to, like, someone's private building that agreed with us to let us charge at their building. Oh. Um, and I'll talk more about that. And they'll get credit to their account. So they'll get credit, they'll be charging the bike, and then they'll be able to pick up another bike. Oh, so nice. that also applies with our, our warehouse. Uh, whoever knows where our warehouse is, um, if you bring a bike to the warehouse, you know, obviously you'll be able to get a bike from there and then go where you need to go. Well, but it makes the sense to do it that yeah. way because then you don't use gasoline collecting the, the bikes. And sooner or later, maybe <laughs> you can put sooner or later maybe you can put solar up on that warehouse. Yeah. Um, I did have a question uh, for our listeners or a request, an ask, and that is, uh, hey, keep these cards and letters coming. You can reach us right now during this interview by emailing us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. So that's uh, one word, radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. Or you can go on Facebook and just type in your question, and Tommy's monitoring that right now. So if you have a question, you know, go onto the Facebook page of Planet Watch, type it in there, we'll read it out loud. We'll ho hopefully we can answer your question. And if you've written one and you have a personal story about them, you can also share that as well. So, um, I'd also like to offer your listeners, whoever's um, out there, please share my email information with them. I'd love to send them credit just for being a supporter of your show and a supporter of Jump Bites. It's really hey, important. What a great idea. Hey, and how about this? If you go on our Patreon page and sign up, we'll give you 
the bonus that you just got offered as well. So there's another incentive to help us and help them uh, get going. It sounds like it's taking off in many cities. What are some of the other cities and experiences you can share about how this is working elsewhere? Well, San Francisco, of course, was where it all started. And I was actually the third person to be employed at, in the San Francisco office. Um, you know, we're known for our hills. We actually have a lot of different brands that talk about the seven hills of San Francisco. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you're a local like me, then you probably have lost your breath trying to walk up some of these hills. And I'm telling you, like, as soon as I got on this bike for the first time after meeting our CEO, Ryan Shostesky, I... Um, was able to get up hills of like Chinatowns, really steep hills, um, you know, Noe Valley, Knob Hill, just anywhere I could go. So we, the, we, that's the reason why we launched it here first, because we really wanted people to see, hey, we're, we're not kidding. These bikes kill hills. That's actually one of our little taglines. Hills, hills. Um, so, so San Francisco is, is kind of where it all started. But then, you know, we, we look at other areas where transportation is limited or you're just looking, you know, for more options and, uh, and obviously more, um, you know, in, environmentally friendly, aware options. So we looked at uh, Santa Monica, in which we actually just won the permit for that. So we'll be launching there. We're in D.C. We're about to go to Atlanta. We're in Chicago, Austin. We're, we're getting ready to launch Denver. We are all over the place. We're going, I'm thinking, I think we were looking at Seattle. There's a couple of other places. It's mainly a places, a mixture of places that are already into biking, that have like a nice bike community, coupled with places that have, you know, transportation options that are limited. Yeah. We're also going worldwide. Berlin is on the list. London, the Netherlands, like we're going everywhere. I heard Barcelona once. I'm, I don't know if that's still a thing, but I think the idea is just to, especially with the Uber acquisition, to just keep growing and just providing more options for everybody worldwide. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you. In Santa Cruz in particular, um, it would be great if they could expand beyond just the city limits. Right now, I mean, I, I guess there's nothing to prevent you from riding outside the range within its where it's legal to ride it. But if you park it and lock it outside, then you get a stiff fine, like 25 bucks or something. But if you could expand it to the countywide, I mean, I realize, hey, you're just getting started here and you're growing fast. But s something to keep our eyes on <laughs> is expanding to countywide. Because then that would have immense implications for that mess on our freeway, Highway 1, during every rush hour. If you had a whole lot of people doing their errands or going to Cabrillo College or whatever, you know, on bicycles on side streets and electric bikes where you can actually, you don't have to devote all your energy to pedaling. You can actually pay attention to where the dangerous cars are around you. That's one of the main benefits I see for electric bikes, by the way. Uh, then we could really make a significant dent in that traffic on Highway 1. But that would require us being countywide. I mean, citywide is good. So your question is, Is there are there plans yeah, to expand this to Watsonville or some of the connective cities where people commute to? The answer, which is, I mean, I can say possibly. I don't want to say yes or no, but I, but I will explain why. So if you, I guess the most simple way to put it is when we're starting in a city, we need to first show that we are reliable with the amount of bikes that we have within the certain system area that we have. So let's say we have 250 bikes in Santa Cruz, and the issue is, well, nobody can find a bike because they're so popular. 
why would we expand geographically just to make it hard, even harder for people to get bikes when we could expand within that system area first, make sure it's solid there, and then start um, going geographically out. So I think as we continue to expand, like when we get into that first quarter of 2019, you may see more bikes within that system area. And as we continue to grow, it'll just expand that way. But right. we want to first make sure... Yeah, if sure. you're in, this, in Santa Cruz, you can get a bike, actually. <laughs> it makes sense. And I was surprised to read there's only 250 bikes in in San Francisco right now because that's all they allowed. But I suppose as they get more comfortable with how these work with traffic and how they work in general, they'll permit them to go above 250, right? Absolutely. We try not to bite off more than we can chew. What we want to show first is that we can be reliable in the system area, and then we take the next step. Right. But the idea, of course, is to, yes, we want to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the questions I was going to ask you, but I may have answered it, but I'd like you to expand on it if you know anything about this. Um, and, of course, the environmental question of the day with something like this is, is it replacing car trips? Are people deciding they're going to use these instead? And there is an article on Curbed magazine um, from July 24th that indicates that the first study of this by Uber, of course, it's the owner <laughs> studying its own product, so it's not a scientifically independent study that they studied for 12 months that indeed it looked like people were getting out of their cars to use these. These early adopters had said um, the trip frequency using these bikes jumped from only 1% to 15% in the first year. And uh, during the workday especially, it was quite high. So it's nice to see that the number of trips is going up, but also that perhaps people are replacing these car rides with bicycle rides. Um, which is certainly cheaper. I mean, uh, I think two trips is eight twenty-one or something in, in your bikes, and then if you use a car, it's a lot more, $28 or something for the same trip if you count insurance on your car and gasoline and other expenses. So it would be more economical for people to, do, to switch over at least part of the time. And I think that's where people are, are looking at it before they even think about environment. I mean, of course, like I said, we want to be environmentally aware and conscious, but I think people are looking at it from an economical standpoint where if you're trying to get from point A to point B and you know that you can't rely on a bus right away, it's not consistent, or that you know, there's, you're just in, on a long block or you have to walk really far to get somewhere to get to the next place, I think people are looking at it more you know, from that standpoint. So I would say yes, that it is replacing car trips. Also, in a lot of metropolitan cities like San Francisco, you have people who drive for Uber and Lyft that specifically come to San Francisco just to get those rides. Mm. So it's not like we're, it's not like when you drive a car that you're actually taking other cars off the road. You're actually creating more congestion. Right. And that's, I think that's some uh, issues that a lot of cities are, tr- are trying to deal with and figure out how to handle. Mm-hmm. Well, but, course, um, and then also, and also, it's just like really hard to park. Yeah, so, I was just going <laughs> to say. I was just going to say that's a big draw. Um, I think for probably a lot of people, it, once they understand how this works, which is part of why we're doing this show, because a whole lot of people maybe they see the bikes, but they don't really know. They haven't really looked into it yet. But hey, you don't have to worry about parking your damn vehicle. Uh, you just leave the bike in a safe, good, legitimate location, locked up. And then later, from wherever else, you can find one if you need one to get back. And, um, well, also, uh, theft. Like, I, I have my own bicycle that I like to ride, you know, for exercise. And sometimes I'll ride it downtown. But 
Uh, and even though it's not a high-end bicycle, <laughs> I love that bike. It's a purple. It's my purple horse. It's kind of unique. I don't want that thing stolen. And bikes get stolen from the damnedest places, like right in front of a whole line of people at a movie at the <laughs> Nickelodeon Theater. I've heard about bikes being ripped off. And uh, you don't have to worry about that stuff. So your bikes are kind of big... <laughs> heavy-duty things that would be hard to steal and it would be pointless anyway because they're going to know exactly where you are. Right, we talked so, about the GPS yeah, yeah. already about that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it is, is kind <laughs> of, it is scary to, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go, no, ahead. go ahead. It is like, it's so sad. It is so sad to get your bike stolen. A lot of people who are really into biking, you know, put a lot of money into it. And I've seen it. I've seen people come back, their wheels were missing, their handlebars, their seats, anything you could think of, the whole bike. So, yeah, we try to take that away from people by letting them rely on our service and saying, when you're done with this bike, you can walk away and you, and you can feel confident that you can get on through your day. What's interesting and, about and, this article is that they say a lot of people are, instead of using Uber, they're using these bikes. So it's not, they weren't actually driving their own cars anyway, but they're getting out of cars in general, like still yeah, using gas is, if you take better. an Uber. Yeah, this is better. Exactly. So it's the same it is, company. <laughs> It is. It's the same. And that's what's, what's great about it. You know, we're so glad to be a part of the Uber team. And it's really, it's, the integration has been great. We've been having a good time with each other. But one of the other things is, you know, now there's a lot of, and in addition to being like Uber driver, you can be like an Uber Eats driver. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we find that a lot of couriers are using our bikes and they're able to get from point A to point B in a much faster time and make more money because they're able to make more stops. Hmm, there's such reliable service. Yeah, so it's like there's a couple of things we touch on. We have, we're, we're environmentally friendly, we're economical, you know, and we're um, we're neighborhood oriented. People just ride our bikes for fun. You know, you met those two girls. So there's a lot of benefits to this program. If you just joined us, we're on Planet Watch with Joe Jordan and Rachel Ann Goodman. We're talking with Megan Mitchell. She is the community manager at Jump Bikes, which is owned by Uber. They just got purchased by Uber about a month ago. And they run these little red electric bikes that are zooming all around town. And One thing I wanted to ask you is the university email. is a big uh, transportation problem for a lot of students trying to come up and down and the, and the professors trying to get up and down from campus. Um, does... There, is there a hub for these at the university so the students can use them regularly? It is up a big hill, and I was wondering if they run out of batteries partway up because it's pretty steep. Do you have any? We, are have, we have, are having conversations and working on ways to serve our, our students in, um, in Santa Cruz. We, we recognize that that's an issue, and we're even thinking about doing it like a special pricing for them. Great. So um, that's definitely in the works, and I think it's something that you'll be seeing rolling out fairly quickly. Hi, Megan. Uh, this is Tommy. Uh, as a UCSC student, I can definitely say I've seen the jump bikes up there and riding all over. But also, we got a comment in our email from someone, Jay Smith. It isn't just having electric bikes. It's having regular bikes. People could ride from Seabright to Cabrillo, drop off, and not have to worry about being stolen which was a comment we just had made by Joe. So they're, I think they're making a comment about expanding to the entire county, and that's another local college, which is a big traffic purveyor. Yes, that would be great. If, and it's just outside the county, so maybe maybe it could become a Santa Cruz County effort instead of just the city just limits. Just outside the city. Because people do move, right, it's just outside the city, city limits. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But it has got 15,000 students, so if there was a way... Somehow, just to make that part of the, uh, I don't know, the 
footprint of, of the bikes that will solve a huge amount of problems thanks, with the city. Thanks, Jay, for that email. And uh, for anybody, anybody who wants to email us, uh, do it at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. You can ask questions about these bikes. Have you tried one? Do you like them? Do you think they're a nuisance? Do you want one for yourself? Or would you just be happy to rent one for an hour? Uh, do you think that people drive over 17 to park just to ride around Santa Cruz? <laughs> and is that a good thing? Are they getting out of their cars anyway and creating less beach traffic? Um, one important question is, are they allowed on sidewalks? <laughs> Megan? Um. <laughs> no, we do not like bikes to be on sidewalks. You know, right of way is, is a very serious <laughs> issue that we don't even want to. We don't even want to go there. Right. Sidewalks, sidewalks are for walking. Okay, there we you go. Know, so. <laughs> well, uh, locking sometimes to a signpost. If you lock it on the side of the signpost between the curb. And the area, you know, where people walk, that's that's okay. I see that all the time. That's parking, though, and, not uh, riding. Though. Yeah, that's parking, and that was not mm -hmm. clear. But, uh, yeah, for parking, yeah, maybe, but not for riding. And, by the way, our uh, transportation coordinator for the city uh, has, like, four of the ten or so rules that she really wants to emphasize. Uh, and uh, one one Claire Fleesler uh, in the Public Works and Planning Department. Anyway, uh, she says, well, we don't want people carrying their friends in the baskets. These bikes have baskets, <laughs> heavy-duty baskets. I have actually seen that. I've seen that, too. <laughs> Two for and, one. And you're supposed to wear, wear a helmet and uh, uh, use hand signals. And I don't know. I couldn't get a hold of her in time for this to remind me. They're all common-sense things you know they you know. are common yeah. stuff yeah. the helmet is the biggest one and i notice you know if you're just spontaneously renting a bike you're not going to just happen to have a helmet so i do notice most of the people i see riding them don't have helmets on and that's nothing to do you know it's not your fault it's just one of those interesting problems that if you spontaneously decide to rent a bike as you're walking by it you're not going to probably have one sitting on your shoulder <laughs> yeah one thing i was wondering and i had it answered when i checked one out at night was hey do these things have lights on them <laughs> and well they do they got like three fairly bright little lights on the front that shine out white light and there's nice bright red lights on the rear so you know pretty safe in that regard as far as being seen by the cars and that's there. actually why the bikes are bright red because we want people to see them everybody thinks we're just like hey red bikes now we want to make sure you can actually see them from a distance and you can see them at night yeah, indeed. I think there's another question that came in over the transom, a nice old-fashioned yeah. word. We got, a, we got a message from our friend Linda Snook. Um, I really love the jump-type program. I like to go to the farmer's market, but sometimes have too much to carry. Uh, so the jump, bikes, I, or the jump bikes allow me to ride instead of walk. I definitely have replaced some car trips with them. I do see a lot of inappropriate parking of them, though. My driveway was blocked yesterday morning and would be difficult for someone with a disability to drag, drag that out of the way. Um, how are you addressing this? Again, I really love the program and hope that the jump bikes are here to stay. <laughs> so thanks, well, Linda. Well, that's a great question. Thanks, Linda. So, so in addition, to Linda, to doing more footwork and more outreach, we're actually educating people on you know the best practices for using the jump bike we have a real-time tw 24-hour customer service center and um mechanics and and van drivers that respond to these issues hmm. this is a 24-hour rant some of us never sleep we are hmm. constantly 
getting emails or responding to things, answering questions. Like, we operate like other transit systems where you have access to them. So if someone's blocking your driveway, which they definitely shouldn't be, all you have to do is send our customer service an email take or take a picture, email it to us, and we will come and get that bike within, like, less than two hours. Or even uh, maybe faster than email, there is a number you can call, and there's also uh, probably on the app <laughs> there's a way to signal that, hey, can, although the good Samaritans out there who are not disabled who see something like that, they could simply slide the bike out of the way of some ridiculous obstruction like that maybe. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so well, many in possibilities. A, in a tourist town like Santa Cruz, I imagine that the, the one companies that might be rather uh, upset about this are the bike rental companies. Do you hear anything about, you know, anybody saying that they're putting them out of business with this? Or is this so different that, you know, it doesn't really bother them because they're handling non-electric bikes. Have you ever heard any kind of feedback from city businesses? I mean, it's all fair in, in love and capitalism. Everybody gets to put whatever business out there they want. Um, but I am wondering if, and if anyone's listening who runs a bike rental shop, has it had any impact on you in, in any kind of negative way? Or maybe is it driving more bicyclists to want to uh, get into bicycles in general because they had a good experience on one? I'm curious which direction you think that is happening and... I, I don't have an answer, but maybe you do. If you're listening, you'd like to contact us. We're taking questions by email right now during the next 20 minutes or so at, give email. Oh, a radio planet watch at gmail.com. Or Facebook. Um, you can just yeah, yeah. write us a question right and, on there. And one thing uh, we were also going to talk about with you, Megan, is the statistics. Um, Claire, the, the city transportation and bike planning gal, was telling us that uh, Santa Cruz is kind of unusually high in its good usage of these things. I think last I heard, each bike is getting an average of six rides per day. And, um, oh, other statistics like that. What, what do you have that can impress us with <laughs> the success of this program so far? Oh, no, not statistics. Okay, so, yeah, she's right. Six rides per day, that sounds about right. I'd say a 1,000 trips per week. Um, we actually um, just made a huge announcement that we've hit our 500,000th ride for the whole system, hmm. which, is, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, so Santa Cruz plays a big part of that, considering we haven't even launched in that many cities yet. So that's just all since we've been public. So that's, um, your that's your half a millionth ride. So Yeah, half a millionth ride. So a few more months until the millionth one. Yep, <laughs> yep, I would say so. <laughs> and the, it's not too expensive. It's like $2 for 30 minutes. Is there any kind of low-income uh, program for people who couldn't even afford that or might only carry cash, not credit cards? Do you have any kind of... Ab yeah. Absolutely. We have what we call the Boost Program, which is $5 for the first year gets you a free hour of ride per day. Um, and then also if you, if, so you would have to pay with your credit card, but if you don't have a credit card and prefer to pay with cash, we have a pay near me system, which is where I think you go to like your local 7-Eleven or whatever, um, low income qualifier type store you have or where, anywhere you could go to pay your bill in cash. So like if you're a part of like a, a low income plan, like you get PG&E at a discounted rate. Or in some counties, there's a thing called SMUD. Um, you're able to go 
to like a Seven Eleven and say, hey, I want to sign up for a jump count. You give them your $5 and they say, okay, you're all set. You get your free ride every day. You're set for a whole year. They give you a card with an RFID. You hmm. scan the card on the bike and it'll unlock the bike for you and you'll, you'll be able to use the service. $5 for a year sounds very affordable for most yeah. people. Yeah. That's great because not everybody has cars. Oh, yeah. You can actually find that information on our website, too. Hmm. And we're, we're going to adopt some other programs, too. Like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the whole discount student pricing, and we're looking at other things that we could do to be more economically viable for people. You know, I have a question. Uh, the, the business model, the future seems bright. To me, it's the right kind of thing for economic growth you know i mean i have my problems big problems with economic growth as contributing to the whole climate mess etc but hey here's a nice example of where we need economic growth and so what about jobs i mean presumably with all this growth in both intensity within given sites such as around here and in the number of sites you're doing in this country in the world there might be a whole lot of need for people to get into this business and be hired on by your company and maybe others what is the picture on that that, that you're aware of so far the jobs picture there's a lot of opportunity i could say that and i could also say that you don't necessarily have had to work in a tech company to be hired on to work at jump bikes we've got people that have been in the service industry people that have never done any of this before there's a really good learning curve um, we have a lot of on-hand training. Really, you just have to have the passion. You can do things like become one of the rebalancers, which is where you simply go and you make sure that there's active bikes working. You can work in our shop. You can do community outreach with me. Like, the opportunities are endless, and they're just out there for everybody. And we are expanding. We are growing. And we are looking for, you know, for new energy out there. So... And do those Again, localize to the communities in which the bikes are? You know, I know that Uber absolutely. has its own headquarters, but this, uh, we, obviously the mechanics would be local here. What other positions would end up coming to the individual cities where these bikes are? Absolutely. That is so important to us. Every person that lives in a community where Jump Bike operates, we consider, you know, that, that works for us, we consider like a, a huge asset to the company. You know, they have different insights. They have a whole new outlook. You know, they're more connected. We obviously want to deal with those people first because they're more personable. Um, and we just think that's, you know, that's kind of how we've been doing things, and that's just kind of how we want to continue to do things. That sounds we like want, a good we, idea to, um, to make people happy to bring jobs in the, into the community rather than have them funneled into a central headquarters. And I know, you know, sadly, Uber has had its own PR problems with uh, putting taxi drivers out of work and... There was some other issues they have had over the years, so maybe this is a way for that company to have some more positive impact um, in a more Absolutely. definite way. If I could just tell you, you know, the, the reason why I work for Jump Bikes, I actually had never worked at a trunk company before, and I was, I know you mentioned earlier that I was a, a reporter. Well, I was reporting because I wanted to know more about Jump Bikes and why it was in my community. And I wasn't even really positive about it at first. I was like, what is this bike in my neighborhood? How come nobody told me? Oh, I'm, I'm going to write this up. And I wasn't really happy about it at first. And then I met the CEO and I met um, some of his employees. I was working with him at the time. We met, had a great conversation. He took me for a ride and I was hooked. 
I was hooked. And then we sat down and I said, look, I've, you know, here's some ways that you could talk to more people in the community. And then he said, all right, let's do that. And also, are you interested in, in working for me? And I was like, yeah, I'll work for you. <laughs> you know, so I started off as a contractor and then I became full-time. And I was number three in San Francisco. So having insights, going hyper-local. I worked for a, um, a newspaper that was hyper-local into a company that was hyper-local. So I had the insight that he needed. I had the connections. I, ha I was driven. I'm still driven. You know, so more people like that within different communities is what we're looking for. People with that same passion. People who hey. are willing. Uh-huh. I got a I got a tip for you guys, which I'm oh, sure, sure you may already be on to it. But our one of our our first uh, other community in this country that uh, was playing our show and still is Columbus, Ohio, a very green you know green minded town, uh, and our friend Eugene Beer, who established and runs the WGRN Green Radio Network there. That would be an excellent town. That that would be a town very ripe for this program, and Eugene could actually help you make that happen and he's probably going to be hearing this show uh they play it i think on wednesday evenings uh, in that market oh, there great. so yeah. shout out to our friends in columbus and <laughs> we'll, we'll hook you all up yeah that's great but i was just going to say that it's important that jump bikes came to my community first because i live in a community where stuff like this doesn't normally happen mm -hmm. we're usually the last to know and and jump has a way of going to communities that need them more than others to, you know to start so I live in the Bayview District in San Francisco, which is a really underserved community, mm -hmm. economically, trans with transportation, you know, environmentally. So launching there was actually the smarter thing to do. Yeah. So since since then, they've kind of taken that approach to going to where er certain areas need them first, and then they expand to other areas. Uh -huh. Hey, you know, I, I got a little question. I, I talk this thing up uh, all the time and uh, got a little question at a gathering I was at last night, which was, okay, what's the typical range on these bikes? And, you know, I could provide a swag estimate, somebody's wild-ass guess, SWAG, but uh, you probably have some numbers. Of course, it depends on how much hilly terrain you're riding on, too, but... But, um, I mean, it must be something on the order of, what, 20 or 30 miles if it were all just flat ground? Or what? what's a typical full charge get you on one of these uh, red jump bikes? 20 miles per hour is typical. No, I mean the total distance, the total distance. How, how far oh, would I you see. go if you, before you, you ran go? out of battery? <laughs> oh, I, I, okay, sorry, I said that earlier. 40 miles, yeah. I've gotten the furthest oh, before oh. I ran out of on battery, yeah. That would be on flat ground, yeah. Pretty much, because yes, when you go up definitely. hills, you go up hills. Oh, although this is an interesting question. I, I drive an all-electric car, Chevy Bolt, B as in Baker. And, you know, you go up a hill and it cuts down on the range, but then you get quite a few of those miles back when you come down the hill via regenerative braking. Does that apply with these particular bikes where you get some miles back, you know, some range back as you go downhill? I, I'm kind of doubting it, but maybe you know. I don't know. I could ask one of the mechanics. That's <laughs> That's a good question. I would ask the mechanics, but I I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I really don't. But that's that's an interesting question. I'm I'm gonna look more into that. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. Well, um, any last thoughts as we uh, wrap up our interview here about the future of jump bikes? Do you think how long do you think it'll be before uh, they expand the number of them here in our city? Um, so it'll be the first quarter of 2019. I'd say in those first couple of months you'll be getting some news about us going up to 500 bikes if all goes well and it seems like it's going well great yeah you know i, I have high hopes uh 
and and a bit of an agenda with this program here in Santa Cruz. I'm going to just come out with it here. The city of Santa Cruz seems hell-bent on building a big monstrosity downtown, taking over the wonderful, beloved Farmer's Market parking lot and turning it into a five-story parking garage and coupling it with a, a library. And, you know, the library thing is wonderful, and I'm a big library supporter, but I don't think the two issues should be tied together. But anyway, this parking garage, I hope this program is so incredibly successful, documentably so, that it will just completely eliminate the need and demolish all the arguments for building, you know, spending many tens of millions of dollars on this parking garage. <laughs> so there you go. Every every project needs to go through some sort of approval. And I believe in the power of the people and their voices. So if that's what you feel, then you need to let it be known. Oh, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> I just I just got a good start on it right now. Hey, yeah. Tommy has something right. for us here. Sorry, we just got a comment from Eugene, who we were just talking about hey, in Columbus. Eugene. All right. Bernie. Over the past few months, Columbus has become saturated with rental bikes. Lime bikes have both non-powered bikes and electric-powered scooters. Bird has electric scooters. Right now, they've been setting bikes all over the city and suburbs without permission of the suburban government, so they need there needs to be a proper agreements worked out. Cool. How's the weather there in Columbus, by the way, right now? Eugene? I guess I can what, look what that up. What do you up. think about that, Megan? Are there, <laughs> is there an interface with um, permissions having to do with uh, where you can put these? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you don't hear about uh, that type of news with us. It's because we knock on the door before we come in, <laughs> right? Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, you want to be welcomed, and, and you don't want to be surprised. Yeah, I don't. And I, I certainly don't want to say anything negative about anyone who, you know, would be considered competition. But we try to be very careful about that type of stuff. And that's just, it's always been our policy and that's how we will continue. Is to try to work with communities and work with city agencies and, the, and you know, whoever is in charge, whoever has, you know, the jurisdiction over a permit and make sure that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for doing this and taking the time. I know you're staffing at some event somewhere right now and managed to find a nice, quiet place to talk to us. The audio quality was good. But one of these days, we'll look forward to the pleasure of meeting you in person here in Santa Cruz. I understand you come down here from San Francisco once or twice a month. So just let us know and we'll, you know, we'll get together. So. I'll tell you what, let's make this part one because, you know, once we get to that point where we have some good news, and I get some more information, I'd love to visit you again and maybe have a conversation about what our next steps are for Jump Bikes. Sounds good. Thank you, you, Megan. I really appreciate yeah. your time today. Been great Thank you. All right, have a great rest right, of your wonderful. day. Yeah, have you fun. Too. All right, bye-bye. Right, <laughs> that was Megan Mitchell from Jump Bikes talking to us about the new electric bike rental service that's just come to the city of Santa Cruz and many other cities around the U.S. and now in Europe. We have a little bit of time to talk about astrological doings not astrological <laughs> yes, i'm open-minded about astrology but so far as the late great carl sagan said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence what and sign are astrology you, doesn't really have that going Joe for is it the yet. sign of curious <laughs> but anyway what's happening in the sky today tonight? well tonight um you know it's uh the same old i i just cannot say enough to uh, entreat people to go out and 
feast upon the visual treat of the four bright planets all in a great curving arc across the sky. It's going to continue to be this way for, you know, another month or two. I mean, several of those planets will be visible for many months from now, but having them all four uh, in the, say, about an hour after sunset, you got Venus just blazing white in the west. And then the last couple nights, the moon was hanging around right near Jupiter, uh, which is quite bright, but it the moon has now moved on to where it's uh, kind of over near the sparkly orange star Antares, the heart of the scorpion. And um, that star, the name is really interesting. Uh, I don't know if I've gone over this on the air, but Antares. Okay, you remember the Roman god of war, Ares, A-R-E-S? Okay, well, that's Mars, is you know, like Ares. Well, this constellation of the scorpion being a zodiac constellation, that means that the sun and the moon and the planets all come through there every now and then. And the planets, including Mars. So Mars comes through the scorpion once in a while, and when it's near Antares, Antares rivals Mars in its redness and brightness. So it's anti-Aries. Anti-Aries. Oh. Antares. Wow. Isn't that cool? Very cool. <laughs> and also, that star is so big, it would swallow the entire inner solar system. You're looking at that giant sparkling star in, Anter in, in the Scorpion. It's so big it would swallow the sun and all the space out to and including Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, the asteroid belt, and maybe even Jupiter. But only if it was hungry enough. Well, I, <laughs> I have an Earth story, an earthly story for you, um, something that happened two nights ago. We were sitting around practicing music in my kitchen and my husband looked out the window and said that's a really big dog and I said is there a stray dog outside and he said wait a minute that dog has a black stripe down its back and we went out on the front porch and saw a very large mature male mountain lion walking right by the kitchen window and up wow. our driveway and uh, my friend Greg knows a little bit about wildlife so he made a chirping noise and it turned around and just stared at us all making funny noises on the porch looking a bit foolish it just looked at us sort of nonchalantly and for about two minutes we watched each other mm. and then it sauntered off into the twilight and it was all of us our hearts were beating so fast <laughs> because it had walked within two feet of an open screen door <laughs> where we had you know had of cats walking inside that space and there was this giant mountain lion <clears throat> sauntering by just on a on his morning Did evening stroll. Did you say stroll. it had a black stripe down? Yeah, it had a black line back. down its back, and you know, of course, my <laughs> husband looked out there and said, it "Looks like some strange-looking dog." <laughs> and then its tail was, you know, had a black tip. So, huh. I don't know how long it was, but it was probably about a hundred pounds, maybe, and the tail was almost as long as the body. It was so long. It looked wow. like one of those velvet ropes at the bank, you know, those really thick, uh -huh. soft ropes. That's how its tail looked, very thick and That long. must have been really good music you guys were playing. Uh, <laughs> or are you complaining? I don't know. <laughs> what uh, What was the light level? What What time was it? It was about, about 8.40, 8.20, so it was, it was dim sun enough. sun had just gone down, but it was, it was still getting twilight. Dark. It was starting uh -huh. to get dark, but wow. you could see him very clearly. Is that your first mountain lion sighting? Second in 25 years, but wow. the longest and the most gratifying because we had such a long look at each other. I'm so jealous. <laughs> that long look reminds me of a great passage. I should dig it up from uh, Edward Abbey. 
whose sister Nancy has lived here in Santa Cruz for years, and she just left to move in with, you know, grandparents, I mean, grandkids and kids in Hawaii. But anyway, Edward Abbey, you described an encounter with a mountain lion in the desert, in, in some canyon somewhere, and the mountain lion and he just stared at each other. They fixed their eyes on each other for about two or three minutes, so you're telling of that reminds me of that. That'd be a good passage to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, wow. So, well, I, I had I saw one in uh, Wilder Ranch State Park once. Oh. Uh, not all Even that long. You've seen ago. one. I've never seen one. You well, you're young. You're young I've yet. Lived, <laughs> but I've lived in Bonnie Dune my whole life. You got to hang out outside at night. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's only about seventy them, seventy of them in the whole Santa Cruz Mountains, apparently, which isn't very many. Oh, and that's that's a good show. That's a good show for us, the Puma Project. Mm-hmm. That Ooh, yeah. We got some of the world's premier researchers on mountain lions here. There you go. We'll we'll get them on here. We we've talked to a bunch of them, uh, oh, and uh, so and that's a solution, you know, to world overpopulation is just populate the world with more cougars, and <laughs> we'll reduce the carbon footprint of humans really fast. Now, now we're talking we're talking uh, we're talking nonsense here, mostly uh, just for that last couple seconds. But uh, hey, to finish off that lineup of the planets up there, okay. So you got your you got your Venus in the west, your Jupiter in the southeast, then Antares. Then you got Saturn, which is uh, white and dimmer than the other planets, but still quite noticeable, right above the teapot of the beautiful constellation of Sagittarius, the the dome of the teapot, (laughs) teapot dome. And then finally, in the southeast, you cannot miss the angry orange Mars. And uh, it's orange, it's reddish, because it's got rust dust it's covered with iron oxide, which is rust, all over the surface of Mars. It's a huge desert, and there's been an enormous dust storm raging for many months, and it's just finally kind of calming down now. I just read this morning the reports that, okay, people are starting to be able to, in your telescopes, observe the kind of bluish features of some of the colors of the different colors of the land on the surface of Mars there. And uh, so, um, anyway, keep an eye on all that. And they're all lined up, showing you, when you sweep your arms along that line, you're showing the plane of the solar system. You, you, you sweep your arms along that line back and forth and you're demonstrating where the plane of the solar system is oriented. Along that, that line is the edge of the plane. Which so. brings us to the end of this show. Planet Watch is a production of Joe Jordan and Rachel Ann Goodman with help from Tommy Martin today, our intern. You can catch our podcast at planetwatchradio.com and thanks for listening. And keep an eye on the sky.